I think Caleb just lives his life tilted just a little bit. Because they're trying to... Because the center of the room is... is Nobody probably ever knows this, but the center of the room is not like the center of the hallway. It's like that post right there. So I always try and put this right in the center of that post. And Caleb's like, no, it's over here. And I'm like, no, this is the post. It's right there, dude. It's right there. Hey, welcome to Element. If you are new, this is what we do, just like this. Uh, If you are new and you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Again, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you get an app called Uversion, and you click on download it, click on live. It'll bring us up by GPS. You'll get all the verses and notes and questions and all of that stuff to go along with it. Uh, I have just a couple things to talk to you about before we get going. And I, I wrote myself a note on here, and I don't even know what I, what I actually wrote. So... So I'm just going to go off memory. Uh, we're doing the wine tasting next week. And so if you signed up, great. Uh, I'm actually going to drive. My car holds like seven people besides me. So I can take all of you. Although I do drive like an idiot, so I might make you all sick. Just letting you know. But you can drive. It'll be a whole lot of fun. Well, as we do this, what we're looking for is we want some people who will be here who can watch uh, some kids. So that people who want to come and have kids can drop the kids off. They can, they can have some fun here while you get to go out and hang out with some other people and then come back and pick up your kids. So if you are someone who would like to stay and watch kids, there's a, there's a sign-up little thing in the back. Can you write your name on it and just say, I'm willing to watch uh, children that morning? That'd be awesome. And the, the second thing I want to tell you about this morning is this. We have a very, very sad occasion coming up. Next week is Sean Jones's last Sunday with us. He's actually going to be leading music next Sunday as his last hurrah before we go. No. <laughs> actually, uh, we are going to miss him. He, they're, they're going away to school. You can just cry, Kara. Don't cry. You're doing this. You're doing the, the hoppy thing. Uh, and, and so what we're going to do next week is we're going to do a get-together potluck. Uh, it'll be at my house. We'll put the, we'll put, uh, the, the address and directions in, in the back next week. We'll put them all the community tables so you can have that. Uh, but starting at 1 o'clock, come. Uh, bring, there's a sign-up in the back. On the sign-up, you can bring like a side dish, a dessert. You can sign up for as many desserts as you want to bring. Uh, uh, drinks and all that stuff. So, so sign up in the back. One o'clock next week, we're going to do a big thing to send them off. Now, in this, I have had probably three people in the last week ask me if we're going to have some type of box or something that you can put a gift in for Sean. I'm not telling you you have to, but people have asked me. So, yes, we will put a box out if you want to throw something in it for him as he goes away to college because he's a starving college kid here pretty soon. And and here's and here's the really sad thing. Last week, uh, the the youth were all at youth camp and they were having fun. So Sean and I decided that, well, Sean decided that he really wanted to get up and leave at 5.15 in the morning. And I said, yeah, let's go 5.15. So I go to pick him up. He's asleep. <laughs> so about 5.40, we pull out of Santa Maria and drive up. We would go wakeboarding in the morning, hop in the car, driving back. I had a premarital counseling thing with a couple at 11. And so we're a little late since Sean slept in. And, and so he's driving the car on the way back. So he's trying to get me back on time. And we're right before the bridge out here. And woo, cop pulls him over. He was going like 78. Got to take it for 75. And we know how much a 75 mile an hour ticket is these days, right? I don't it's a, anybody know. Anybody get one recently? You know how much it is? Anybody? Really? How much was it? There you go. Over $300. So... Sean could use a little bit of help in his box. Just, 
Uh, as, before I have you stand for reading God's Word, I want to show you this because there's a, there's a cartoon in last week's paper that went totally along with what we were talking about. So here are the panels. This is how it starts. Okay, so you got the squares. Okay, the next one. Okay, and the next one. See, see it's... Okay, next one. And the next one. So her husband calls up, right? He says, hey, beautiful, I just called to say I love you, and look at the next one. Okay, guys, it's important. Why don't you stand on the reading of God's word? This is Proverbs, <laughs> truth from cartoons. Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen says, A continual dripping, this is a funny verse, by the way, don't throw things at me yet. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much for being a God that has revealed yourself to us in Scripture and through your Spirit. And we ask that we'd be a people who live and walk in the truth that you have provided, that you would be glorified and honored by how we live our lives, by how we love each other, especially in our marital relationships. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Song of Solomon, week 10. We are over halfway through. Some of you guys are like, thank God. Now, you're probably asking, how much more can we talk about sex? Well, today, we aren't. Don't clap. Okay, don't, don't clap. Uh, well, maybe not that much anyway. Uh, today, I might just offend just about everyone, so you're welcome. That's, that's, I might just be doing my job right if, if you're all mad at me in the end. We will be very practical again today like we have been every week. So if you're taking notes, write lots of copious notes because we want you guys to walk out of here knowing a whole lot of stuff. Today we're going to talk about arguing and fighting and anger and resentment towards your spouse or others. Now, I know you say this. You're like, I would never hold a grudge against my spouse. They're perfect. Have you met them? Perfect, right? That's No, okay. Song of Solomon teaches that a marriage is like a garden or a vineyard, and it needs to be tended and cared for and looked after. In uh, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15, this couple has what they call a beautiful vineyard. This is their relationship. They've done lots of hard work to make sure that it is pruned, it is tended together. But some little foxes come in. These are problems, these are issues, and it wants to destroy their marriage. Every marriage has little critters. And so what she says in chapter 2, verse 15, is catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. We all have these little foxes. Some are larger than others that come in and seek to destroy the relationships that we have. We also, on top of that, we have an enemy who wants your marriage to fail. So foxes in vineyards. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a lot of stuff as we begin this morning. So again, lots lots of notes to give you. For a man and a wife to build their lives together, we're going to hop right into this. A man and a wife need three things. The first one is this. You must set your priorities. You must set your priorities. And then for element, what do we believe your priorities to be? We believe, number one, you need to mature as a believer. What that means is you need to be reading your Bible, praying, seeking God, developing a relationship with who He is, Because all the love that we know comes out of that relationship. The second thing is you need to love your spouse. Love your spouse. The third thing in that is that you be a good parent. You be a good parent. And the fourth thing is whatever else you do, job, life, whatever. And you cannot invert these priorities. You cannot do that. Uh, You cannot get to a place where you have children and they start to become all of your world. Then you say, well, we can't go to church or Bible study because Joe and Kathy have sports or whatever. You can't do that because what happens is Joe and Kathy become the foundation for your relationship and not Jesus. 
or it's dance recitals or Little League. And I'm not saying there's a problem with any of those things. It's not like you can never be gone from a Sunday morning service or your gospel community doing something else. You can. You can do those things. But in a home, Jesus must be the center. Marriage is the priority. And children are welcomed and loved into that relationship. If children are the center, when they grow up and leave, your marriage will fall apart. If either one of you becomes the center for each other, where you deify your spouse as a god, one day one of you are going to hit a midlife crisis and you'll buy a Corvette or get a boob job and it's over. It's just over. But if Jesus is the center, Jesus is constant and Jesus is unchanging. When a mom and a dad worship Jesus first, then they love each other. Children are welcomed into that relationship with Jesus, and it's a healthy way to build a family. Jesus, spouse, kids. That's the way it has to be. So number one, you must set your priorities. The second thing is you must understand the gospel. You must understand the gospel, or you would deify each other. And then when they can't give you all that you need, you're going to be mad at them and wonder why they're not giving you all that you need. Well, because they're not God. That's why they can't give you all that you need. So stop worshiping them. The, the gospel, I will I'll bullet down to like two sentences, that we are all sinners by nature and by choice. Our sin has separated us from God and each other. Jesus comes into human history in human form, lives without sin, dies for our sin, takes our sins away, rises that we might have newness of life. That's the gospel. And if you do not understand the gospel, you will punish your spouse for every wrong that you perceive they have done to you. Husbands and wives, honestly, will sin against each other. We will do that. But the question is, what will you do with that sin? That is why you need to understand Jesus in the gospel. He died for sin. He takes our sins away so we can be reconciled to each other. And if you don't, you'll live with what we talked about at Christmas Eve this year when we talked about equivalent exchange. They hurt me, we'll all hurt them back, and it just goes back and forth and back and forth, and you cannot live that way. You have to understand that Jesus paid for sin, so let him pay for it. Stop trying to crucify your spouse and your relationships. You must understand Jesus. You will never get it. And the third thing is this, is that you must know what you believe. You must know what you believe. This is very important. I would also say you should marry someone who agrees with you as well. Jesus, worship, marriage, family. You must have deep convictions and you must marry someone who agrees with you in that. I once had someone ask me how I make my wife be nice to me, how I make her make me eat dinner, how, how I make her want to be intimate with me, like we arm wrestled and she lost or something. You know, like, she'd probably win if we actually arm wrestled because she's, she's strong like that. You know, my, I'll tell you this. My, my wife and I, we, we agree politically. We agree theologically. I many times can make my, my case in a lot more words and use a lot more theological references, but we agree theologically on things. And so we agree. We didn't get married hoping the other person would change into what we wanted. I would say this. If, if you are not married yet and maybe you're engaged or looking to get married someday, I would say don't even marry a Christian who doesn't agree with you. I do premarital counseling for a lot of couples, and, and a few years ago, I had this couple in my office, and, and I asked the guy, I said, I said, do you believe that the man is to lead the home? And he, and he looks at me, and he looks at her, and he looks at me, and he looks at her, and he goes, nah, I don't think that's right. And so I looked at her, and I go, I go, what do you think? And she goes, oh yeah, I think you should. So I look at him, and I go, dude, man up, she wants you to lead. Now, my first impression was that he thought he should say, yes, I'm supposed to lead, but he didn't want to offend her. I will tell you this. If you have someone you're going to get married to and they cannot be honest with you before you get married, what makes you think they're going to be honest afterwards? 
You must be honest about what you believe now. And this goes into a lot of things. As a church, do you think a church should have male, uh, male pastors and female pastors or just male pastors? Do you think there should be a dress code? Do you have a problem with certain translations of the Bible? In a marriage, again, who leads the home? Because if you don't agree, there's this old torture thing called drawn and quartered. And what they do is they tie a rope to every appendage on a person and put them on horses. And yeah, and the horses would go and they'd literally tear a person apart. Levi's, when they first started making their jeans, they had this logo right here. They tie it to the sides and they run the horses and they say, see, you can't tear our jeans apart. Well, Mythbusters tore their jeans apart like this, so it's not actually true. But if you do not come and uh, agree on things, you will be like that. You will be ripped in half. Uh, different things, like, like how many kids? You know, none, or maybe she says 20. That's going to be an issue if you guys get married. Raising kids, spanking, time out, both. I mean, being on the same page is important. Now, you may say, well, what if I'm too late? You know, what if we're married and, and I'm already past that? What if you're married, you have opposite views on everything? This is why gospel communities are very important, that element. Because what you can do is you can find another couple, maybe a biblical counselor. Find somebody that's not related to you, all right, that's not related to you, and then you go and talk to them, and you say we're going to submit to their decision for the sake of unity in our marriage. 99.9% .9 of stuff you should be able to come together on. And this is the thing. Even if you guys agree with everything, you're still going to marry someone who is opposite of you. This is why agreeing on a lot of things beforehand is good because you're still going to marry them and they're still going to be opposites attract. Everyone I have ever counseled in my office is not because they agree. It's because they see the world differently. The saver will marry the spender. The neat freak will marry the slob. The early riser marries the night owl. You all know what I'm talking about. The introvert marries the extrovert. It's true. You meet them and they're different and they're exciting and wow, they're so different from me. Then you marry them and they're annoying. See, you all know what I'm talking about. I mean, the difference between interesting and annoying is time. That's the only factor. It's the only factor that's there. And so even when you agree on things, your differences will start to drive you insane. So how do you deal with those? This is what I'm giving you. Lots of stuff in the beginning, right? Yeah, I've got a lot of stuff to go over. Number one, in this, you find a workable solution to your problems, a workable solution. You care about how the other person feels. As a simple example... Wow, they're like taking 20 people with them today. Uh, if, as an example, if you are always late and yet your spouse likes to be on time, you must understand that's important to them. You must begin to make an effort to be on time. As an example, find a workable solution. Just get ready earlier. Set your clock for it a little fast so you get it done. Number two, some things you just have to let go. There are little things you just have to let go. Maybe they always leave the heels in the bread bag. Well, you can just throw them away. You can just let that go. Some things need to just roll off you. Now, I, there are some things that I will go to war on, make or break. Like my wife came home and said, I'm going to start smoking. I, I couldn't do it. I mean, that'd be like a war right there. No, this is not happening in the house. She comes home and smells like an ashtray. I can't let it go. Like she starts talking like the, from the, What's that? From the Princess Bride? Welcome to the pit of despair. You know, it's not happening. All right? It's not happening. But certain things, you just have to let go. They're not a big deal. And the third thing you must understand, there are seasons in life that are just hard. There are some things you just have to get through, some things you endure through. Perseverance is a very important doctrine in Christianity. I tell this story at a lot of weddings, so if you've been at one, 
I told the story, just go with it, all right? Uh, there, there's a story of, the, of this old couple. They're like 50 years old or f- married 50 years or laying in bed at night. And uh, the, the wife looks over at her husband and she says, you know, when we were young, you used to hold my hand at night. She goes, oh, and he reaches over and he grabs her hand. And she goes, when we were young, you used to snuggle up against me. So he's all creak, creak, pop, crack. And he gets up against her. And she goes, when we were young, you used to nibble on my ear at night. And he's all, oh. he throws off the covers and he goes storming out of bed. She goes, where are you going? He says, to get my teeth. This is the thing. When you were young and, and there's a whole bunch of sense of love in the air, doing that and nibbling in the ears is very easy. But as a marriage progresses and you get 20, 30, 40, 50 years in there, when maybe there's a hearing aid in the ear or the room smells like Ben Gay or you know, whatever it is, perseverance is what matters. You endure. You keep going. Anything truly meaningful in life requires perseverance. That includes a marriage. Endurance stands the test of time. It is commitment. Gifts and talents and a cue are all things that are beyond us, but endurance is a gift that we can offer the other person. Now, uh, John Gottman is a researcher at the University of Washington, and he did a study where he found four attitudes in particular that were markers of an impending divorce. He calls these the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen of divorce. And I'll give these to you because I want you to see, you know, don't raise your hand if this is you, but if this is going on with you. The first one he talks about is criticism. Criticism is where you don't bring a complaint or a concern. It's always, you never, you always, you're an idiot. You state something as if it's a defect in the other person, and you expect them to thank you for pointing it out that they have this problem. Oh, you're terrible. You know why? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, thank you. You're so smart. I totally appreciate that. You know, that's, that's criticism. The second one is contempt. This is sneering, mocking, deep sighs, rolling of the eyes, the here we go again, the negative nicknames. This is what it says is that I don't care about anything that you're going to say to me. I don't care at all. The third one is defensiveness. This is, this is where you don't take responsibility for what you do. Where even if you, if you mess up and you say like, oh yeah, I messed up, but you say, but of course it's your fault because you did this. Or I, I did this because you made me because you did that thing over there. Or it can also be like, like even the garden, you blame everything on, on the devil. You know, oh honey, we're under spiritual attack again. Uh, I can't do this or I can't do that. It's the devil's fault. The devil made me do it. No, sometimes you just got to say it was a sin. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And this is why we understand the gospel because unrepentant people do not understand the gospel and they're terrible spouses. The fourth one he says is stonewalling. This is where you tune out, you tune up, turn up the iPod, you disengage, you ignore each other. Uh, you start reading the magazine, the TV, you listen to music. Uh, statistically speaking, 80% of times that stonewalling occurs, it's the husband that stonewalls. Like, when's she going to burn herself out? The game's on in 30 minutes. Okay, let her go, let her go. She's not done yet. Oh, it's good. That happens with guys. And what John Gottman says is when people live like this, it degenerates into parallel lonely lives. If you want to see him talk about it, we put a link to one of his YouTube videos that he talks about this on our website, ourelement.org forward slash SOS for Song of Solomon. So you can read that. We also put a link to one of his research reports up there as well if you want to read theirs. Uh, But it ends up being her money or his money, his church or her church. And the Bible says you are to be one flesh, one flesh. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. Marriage must be held in honor among all. Now today, we hit Song of Solomon, chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open there, Song of Songs 5. And we've looked at a lot of uh, sin in regard to the man. I've kind of beat up on guys a lot during the Song of Solomon, giving them a lot of things that they're supposed to do. And today we'll look at the sin of the woman. 
I know, I've got to be really careful in this because I can pick on guys and say mean things about them all day long, and I say it to women, and I'm a sexist. No, today we call it equality. That's where, that's where we're going to go with that. Uh, I will tell you, men and women, again, are both sinful by nature and by choice, and so the sin that's done today is not just done by women. It's done by men as well. So the implications goes both ways in what we talk about. And what does she do that's sinful? What she does is she rejects her husband. She is selfish. She wants to come together. She says no because they are opposites. Solomon is a night owl. She's an early riser, so she goes to bed early. And Solomon comes home late at night. Chapter 5, verse 2. This is where it starts. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Now, this is one of those sleeping things where you wake up. You're not really sure you're awake. You're like, they're like half awake. And you start doing it. Anybody ever like that? Yeah. Uh, we were in Rome uh, last year with, with my wife. And I, and I wake up in the middle of the night. And I do this all the time. Like there's bugs on the wall or something. So I wake up in the middle of the night. I turn on the light. I start rummaging through my stuff. She's like, what are you doing? And then I wake up. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, oh, I hate it when you do that. Cause I, I, I used to do it a lot more. I, I'd flip on the light, bang the walls, trying to kill the lizards or the spiders. thought her cat was dead once I'm all, oh, and I'm grabbing her stomach. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have no idea. It's all the time. Now, now she does this. She doesn't get up and run around like I do. Like one time I woke up and I was getting water out of the fridge. I'm all, and I wake up and I'm all, okay. You know. <laughs> I must have been thirsty. She does this sometimes as, as, as well, but she doesn't get up and walk around. She'll fall asleep if we're watching something on TV, and then she will just giggle. At totally, like a car full of people will blow up. She'll be like, ha, ha, ha. She does that. So, so she, she does that too. So we're all this. She's in a half-day state. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. So Solomon comes. He's knocking on their bedroom door. Why? Because she locked the door. She went to bed, locked the door. He comes home. He's trying to get into the room. You know he wants to get in because he uses his four best lines. He says, open to me. So open the door. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. These are like his four best words. So he's trying really hard. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. It is very, very late. Now, some of you guys have nine-to-five jobs. That's wonderful for you. Some of you are like me. You have a lifestyle job. Sometimes you never get to punch out. So sometimes I actually get home very late. I don't get home on time. Solomon's like this. He's a king. So he gets home when there's dew on the ground. This means it is after one in the morning. So he shows up, he gets home, she has some excuses, in which we got to ask, what are our lame excuses that we give sometimes? Oh, it's too early, it's too late, I'm too hot, I'm too cold, I got a headache, if you touch me, I get a headache, you know, things like that. Verse 3, here's our first lame excuse, I had put off my garment. Okay, I took off my robe and I climbed into bed. I, I can't get up and be bothered to unlock the door for you, you should have been home earlier, right? Well, that's not a good excuse because Solomon wants her to leave the robe off. He doesn't want her to put it back on. She says, so I put off my garment. How can I put it on again? The second one, I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them again? I I washed my feet. I climbed into bed. I can't get up and open the door. Really? She's a queen in a palace. She's not roughing it in the single wide after the hurricane. She's just not getting out of bed. The palace is not that dirty. So he says, verse 4, my beloved put his hand to the latch. So now he's trying. He's like... Come on, open the door. She says, and my heart was thrilled within me. So her heart like races a little bit, but she doesn't get up out of bed. Now, in, in the Hebrew text, this line is actually very funny. My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. This is what's called a double entendre. Now, double entendre is, is a French term, of, of course, because that's how it always goes. And it's a figure of speech where one you say one thing, and it's very obvious, and the second thing is kind of risque, uh, ironic, inappropriate. What he, what he literally says in the Hebrew text is, I'm trying to get my key in the keyhole, if you know what I mean. 
That's what, okay, good, funny, right? So that's what he said. So, so verse 5, so I arose to open my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. So we don't know how long between verse 4 and verse 5, but she finally decides to get up and go open the door for him. Before, she's like, no, 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 it's too late. You should have been here earlier. I reject your silly advances. I will punish you. And now she wakes up and goes and opens the door because now she feels like it. Verse 6, I opened my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone, meaning he left. He's like, you know what? Okay, I'm done. And, he, and, he, and he walked away. Now, men get angry eventually. They feel defeated and they leave because many times, and, and this is just in all honesty, when men fight, we feel like we can never win. Very quickly, in a marriage, a man realizes if he wins, he still loses. And if he loses, he loses. So we really got no way to win. And so Solomon, in embarrassment, he doesn't fight. He just leaves. Now, anybody ever go to a junior high school dance when you're growing up? Okay. Now, in a junior high school dance, you're usually held in cafeterias or gyms. Mine was the same thing. So they just kind of push the tables to the side. They bring in a DJ. When, when I was in junior high, it's not like today. So when I was in junior high, girls would stand on one side. Boys would stand on the other side. And you'd show up. And every once in a while, someone would bravely walk across the room to go ask a girl to dance. Everybody watch you. Anybody have to endure this torture when you were growing up? Anybody? Yeah, okay. All right. No one's raising their hand. I understand. Uh, and so when you ask someone to dance, you give them a choice. You want to, they can say yes or they can say no. You give them options. If they say yes, all sorts of new possibilities open up. Maybe you get another dance. Maybe you get a couple phone calls. Maybe you can, uh, you pass notes in class, you know. This is what happened in junior high when, when I was, but apparently that's not the same anymore, so we're not going to go there, you know, whatever 12-year-olds do in a relationship. Uh, but if they say no, then you don't get to dance and, and there's no progress at all. By extending the invitation, to dance, there is great risk. There's a risk that you could be standing there all alone on the other side of the gym, everybody looking at you, totally humiliated. When you make a move towards another person, you extend yourself to them. When you invite them to do something, when you invite them to conversation, when you, you give them power, you give them power to say yes or power to say no, you give them power to decide. Solomon extends the invitation and she responds, I have a headache. Go away. Now tell me that this is not the real-life stuff that happens in everyday relationships. The Song of Solomon is immensely practical. She is tired. Getting out of bed right now seems like such a hassle. It's a long day. She's exhausted. Her reaction is really Solomon any time but now. But then she catches herself, as we all do, in those moments when we do something really dumb and think, I wish I could take those words back. I wish I could take those actions back. And she gets up and she runs to the door. Hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Oh, where are you? In verse 6, she says, My soul failed me when he spoke. I didn't get up. I just laid there. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. She's too slow, and he is gone. He He extended himself. He is the one who risked. He called her from the other side of the door, and he gets a no. Everybody knows in one way or another this feeling of rejection. Most commentators agree that what happens, instead of going to search for him right now, she actually goes back to bed and she goes back to sleep and she has a nightmare. I will tell you, our hearts have tremendous capacity to love, tremendous capacities to ache, and this ache is universal. She's worried about him, not enough to get up and go look for him, so she goes to bed. She has a nightmare. Verse 7, the watchmen found me as they went about the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Now, Joseph Dillow, in his commentary, he says this, does this treatment by the watchmen reflect the girl's guilt and sense of failure at the slowness of her response to her husband? Possibly, possibly. There's a lot of truth in this passage that has so much relevance for us if you're married. 
It's like this. The truth is that the course of love hardly ever travels smoothly. There are bumps all over the road. And Song of Solomon tells you that. There are no fairy tales. There is no happily ever after. It is all work. It is all this effort. For every moment of ecstasy, there are moments of hurt and pain. But the openness that lovers experience with each other makes possible both extremes. If you never opened yourself to love, well, you would never be hurt. But if you never opened yourself up to the possibility to be hurt, you can never love as well. Love can never guarantee perfect performance in personal relationships. Time and humility help. She awakens. She feels guilty. Her dream was, is very vivid. So much to the point that in the next verse she says that she is love sick. She is sick because she has turned her lover away. And what she does is she gets her friends to come and help her to go find him and make this thing right. Now, we're going to cover this fight over the next three weeks and the reconciliation that it brings. So I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. This is, this is like you know Harry Potter, Deathly Hollows Part 1 at the end. Boom. Okay. Now, I'll give you the heads up. They get back together, obviously. There's three more chapters in the book, so something's got to happen, right? So they do get back together, so, so feel better about that. But this whole idea of fighting and restoration. But I want to come back to this idea because I don't want to move away from this too quickly. I want you to sit with this this week and think about this, that we are selfish by nature and by choice. That's why I said at the beginning that Jesus must be the center and your marriage must be the priority because these things will happen. Anything else in your life will not last. So today, I have two things for you to round this out. The number one is this. I give you the question to ask your spouse every week if you're married. So here's the question to ask each other on the way home or tonight or whatever. This is the question. What are the critters that have gotten into our garden and want to undermine our oneness? What are the critters that have gotten into our garden and want to undermine our oneness? These, again, are the foxes in the vineyards from chapter 2. And you cannot say, well, there aren't any. Everything's wonderful because there are always some. We, the world is full of sinners. We sin. It means there are critters in the garden. God's people will maintain oneness by dealing with things honestly. And the second thing in this is the issue that she comes back to. This is the issue of community. As I showed you in the first four weeks of the Song of Solomon, marriage is a man and a woman first, and then they're friends come into that, the community that is involved in that. And the community can ask very hard questions of you at times. If if you are single, you learn in relationships by being in community with those who are married so you know what it looks like. You know, this book is also for singles. I I got a few comments now from single people about the Song of Solomon, and they say, well, it's all about married couples. Why don't you do anything that applies to me? And my first thought, I don't say this out loud, my first thought is, thank you for your unselfish opinion. I totally appreciate that. But I I will tell you this. More than 90% of you will marry. And, and you need to know this now so when you go into marriage, you understand it. So you don't get married and be like, okay, now what do I do? You've got it all in front of you so you understand it and you, and you walk in. Plus, many people at Element are married. You should be happy they're getting instruction. In the Song of Solomon, the friends keep speaking into their life. So are you in a community group that discusses life together? If you're single, this has great advantages for you because you can work through all the problems you know you already have. Because believe me, you got lots of them. What things need to get taken care of before you get married? You know, are, are you a, a crazy emo rocker? You know, and maybe you need to tone it down just a little bit. You know, are you passive aggressive? Are you are you co are you codependent? Maybe you're terrible with money. Good, go to FPU, Financial Peace University. You should go to that. If you're single looking to get married, go to Financial Peace University. You need it. Trust me. 
I will tell you, if you're single, you don't get to be selfish and rack up credit card debt and then go into marriage that way. You know, the most likely person in America to have credit card debt is a single woman in her 20s. Single people, men and women, both think they get to go play around and hook up and go to bars and sleep around. They say, well, it's not like I'm married. Right, but one day you probably will be. You should conduct yourself when you're single so you can take as little baggage and carry-ons to the plane of marriage as possible. All right? You don't want to take a lot of stuff with you. I mean, you don't, you don't want to get to the point and be like, okay, uh, here's my exes and my diseases and my credit card debt and my stupid theology and I, and I, and I lost my Bible and my pants. Don't you want to marry me because I'm so wonderful and, and I got a fast Japanese sports car? I mean, that, that, that's, that's not a catch. That's not a catch. You must conduct yourself in a way that prepares you for marriage. Don't assume you will meet someone and be so in love you figure it all out. Now is the time to read your Bible. Now is the time to know what you believe. Now is the time to serve somewhere. Now is the time to pay off your debt. Now is the time to seek out mentors. Now is the time to do the work of mission that God has called us to. Now. Now, I want to leave you with this last thing. Uh, there's an older commentator. His name, is, his name is Rylar's Dam. I'm sure you've all read all of his stuff, right? No, okay. He suggests, actually, this text in the Song of Solomon that we looked at today was in the mind of John when he wrote the book of Revelation. When uh, Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. This is without the double entendre, by the way, in case you were wondering. Uh, this would have been spoken of from Jesus to the church in Laodicea. Now, Rylersdam says that this is the one instance in which the New Testament clearly uses the song of songs. Now, for some people, this is an entirely new perspective of God. Many people have the images of God, of a warrior, creator, a judge, a father, all of which are true, all of which are very useful, and we need to understand that. But God is also a lover. He is a lover whose heart has been crushed, and he expresses it in poetry. The Bible tells a story of a living God who loves and continues to love even when that love is not returned. This is a God who has acted in history to express that love. And what does that love look like? It looks like Jesus. Jesus is God coming to us in love, sheer, unadulterated, unfiltered love, stripped of everything that gets in the way, naked, vulnerable, hanging on a cross, asking the question, what are you going to do with me? This is why for thousands of years, Christians have always found the cross to be central to light because it speaks of God's suffering and God's pain and God's broken heart and God knocking on the door and seeking his children. If you have ever given yourself to someone and had your heart broken, you know how God feels. That's how God feels. And when you understand this, especially in your marriage relationships, it can, it can transform your whole experience of rejection and heartbreak and fighting. Because instead of that being something that distances you from God and, and making you want to run away from Him and say, where was God in the midst of this? It can actually draw you closer when you understand the gospel. That Jesus points to the Father. It is not a God who stands at the distance and wrings His hand saying, if you only listen to me. It's a God who shows up and holds out His hand and says, you want to see where the nails went? That's what that is. This is a God who seeks his people. The gospel is a place where we understand, even in the midst of all of the problems we have in marriage, that we are not alone. It gives us strength to go on in commitment. It is not a strength that comes from ourselves, a strength that comes from God, the God who keeps going, the God who keeps offering, the God who keeps loving his people. Love is risk, and God has invited you to step out of the cafeteria line and to dance with him. It could be a really cool dance. Believe me, it really can. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And when we walk and live our lives with him, it transforms everything that we do. It transforms all of our relationships. 
it makes us actually begin to be the people God has called us to be. And so this morning, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you have never given your life to Christ, surrendered to Him, then I invite you to go and pray with them. Because again, you will never understand the Song of Solomon until you are a believer. It will make no sense to you. If you're having these horrible issues in your marriage, you can't figure it out. Well, you need to make sure Jesus is the center and not each other. And that marriage becomes the priority. And if you need prayer, they would love to pray with you about that. The band's going to come up. They will do a couple songs. As we do these songs, we invite you to take communion. Uh, communion is the place where we break, uh, where we break that cracker that reminds us of, of Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I. His body broken, his blood shed. He is the one who is crucified. We no longer need to crucify our spouse. He is the one who paid for sin. Uh, we'll worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall on the back. We give because God gave so much to us, so giving is then part of our worship. Uh, there's some food and stuff in the back. We invite you to get to know some other people and maybe go out this week and sit down. Maybe, you, maybe you've never had or been involved in any type of community whatsoever. And so we try and provide that for you every single week so you can maybe meet somebody else and, and ask the hard questions. You know, what are the critters that are in your garden? You know, what things need to be worked on? What things do you feel are just overwhelming you now? And then you can walk forward in the newness of life because God wants to take you on an amazing journey and he wants to dance with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who seeks us, who loves us. And we ask that we would be those who begin to understand that, that, that the strife and all the issues that we have in our lives is simply because of our own sin. And I ask that we would lay that sin at your feet the, the hurts and the issues and the problems that we have experienced. We will lay before you so that we no longer try to crucify the other person and that we trust you to be the God that you show yourself to be throughout your scriptures and that you reveal yourself to us by your spirit and that we would in turn live as the people that you call us to be and our marriages, and our friendships, and all that we do. And that we would step out into this great and wonderful dance that you have called us to. And that the hurt and the pain and the irritation we experience would actually draw us closer to you. It would have us seek you more and more and more. So we begin to react differently than we have in the past. And the great hope that you have extended to us would be seen in how we conduct our lives. We ask that you would revive our hearts and our minds and our lives so they fully reflect you and your goodness. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.